Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, all right. Welcome to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Live QA, Thursday night football, midweek, week four, Giants, Seahawks, Monday night football coming up. Let's go. Want to remind you guys to subscribe to the page at PL on NFL. Um, also follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, hit subscribe, hit follow, give us some ratings and reviews, give us thumbs up on these live Q and A's. Everything helps. We have super chats, super stickers and options. Get your comments elevated right to the top. First want to just tell you guys about bet online, bet online football is back and it's your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up to the minute stats, news, scores, matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on stats, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the football promotions and contests available anywhere online. The absolute best. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get on in the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. And also, if you're a golf fan, a Notre Dame fan, or both in the New York, New Jersey area, uh, October 5th, Thursday, 2023. So coming up, Angelo Bertelli Memorial Golf Classic at Berkshire Valley Golf Course in Oak Ridge, New Jersey. If you want to play, if you want to be a sponsor, uh, if you want to donate money to provide scholarships for future Notre Dame students, reach out to Kevin Murphy at Murphy at lumlaw.com that's k murphy at l u m l a w.com or to dom fanuel at dom at domfanuel.net that's dom at d o m f a n u e l e dot net that's the angelo bertelli memorial golf classic with the northern new jersey club of notre dame at berkshire valley golf course thursday october 5th welcome in welcome in welcome in everybody hunter good evening to you as well Rick, how you doing? Al, what's up? This is, of course, our live Q&A. So I'll have plenty to talk about, plenty to say, but let's just get right to the questions because I see them in the queue already. Don't want to leave you hanging. Rick Bowman says the Giants are fielding the youngest team in the league, snap weighted. What comes to your mind when you hear that? What comes to my mind, Rick, is that uh, the Giants, this has been a rebuild from the beginning when Joe Shane and Brian Dable came in in year one in 2022. And I think Joe Shane throughout the process has understood that this is, was going to be a three year minimum deal to get the team, hopefully where it was going to be and where he felt like, you know, it's time to start competing. Now they got ahead of schedule in year one in winning some games, getting to the playoffs, albeit against a, an easier schedule and catching some breaks, making some timely plays and, really both the Vikings and the Giants turned out luck was on their side, right? Now they created a lot of those breaks, but luck was on their side. But just because they won last year, they still had to draft and develop. And that's something Joe Shane believes in. And that's something the Giants need to do a better job of. Now we could sit here and talk, debate and talk about, well, are they drafting well enough, right? Evan Neal, Kayvon Thibodeau, um, you know, uh, you have Micah McFadden just showed out last game in the San Francisco, in San Francisco, but there's a lot of players right now who's, you know, the the plus or minus or the arrow up pointing or arrow down. These guys are still young and still developing. Now, that said, when you look at Hawkins, who's starting on the outside at corner, 
a sixth round rookie who's struggling. John Michael Schmitz, a second round center, a rookie. He's going to go through some growing pains, especially on an offensive line that's so unsettled and is lacking in some talent at key positions, especially on the interior, particularly when Ben Bredesen is out. Deontay Banks hasn't been able to finish two of the three games. And frankly, everybody on the Giants defense, young guys included, needs to tackle better, even though I do think the defense played well enough to stay in a competitive game and give them a chance to win if they had any offense at all against the Niners, despite that being a really loaded team. But back to your question, Rick, I think it was always the plan to get younger and then develop and form into a better team and a sustainable team, because that's really been the Giants problem. Going back to when Joe Judge came in and was married to Dave Gettleman, the incumbent GM, Joe Judge was supposed to have at least three years with the Giants because they knew how bad it was, how bad the roster was, how bad their drafting and their talent development and acquisition had been investments in various players. We don't have to relitigate that right now, but Joe judge only got two years and gets run out. Obviously the second year went poorly, but the second year wasn't supposed to be the year everything turned around. They only thought that once year one went a little bit better with judge. And then they loaded up, invested a ton of money and resources into year two. They're bringing in these guys like Kenny Galladay. And then year two falls flat. Everything falls apart. Saquon Barkley gets hurt. And what do you know? You have a new coach. So you don't want to make the same mistake again. Now, the Giants have to kind of catch this, though. You know, you can't lose to the Seahawks, lose to the Dolphins, lose to the Bills, and then start to say, well, it's still a long-term process because the fact of the matter is John Mara wants to see progress. Now, that doesn't mean you won a playoff game last year, so that means you have to go to the NFC Championship game or to the Super Bowl this year for the NFC. It does mean, though, that acquiring more talent, you know, guys like Bobby Okereke, on defense, Darren Waller on offense, Jalen Hyatt, a rookie that you bring in on offense who has some explosiveness. You pay Daniel Jones, you pay Andrew Thomas, you pay Dexter Lawrence. So now you're in a position where, well, wait, it's a rebuild and it's year two of what we thought was going to be a a three-year process, but we just kind of loaded up, right? So that's part of the problem and part of the issue is that the Giants, and listen, this happens in the NFL. The Giants are the only team that makes this mistake or tries to do this balance, but it's very difficult to build while you win or to win while you build. Usually it's easier to do one or the other and buy some time when you're building or to recognize like the Rams did when it was time to go all in and win. Now, of course, then you have the back end of that where the Rams went so all in, then suddenly, you know, it's like a sandcastle with the, when the tide comes in. So um, everyone strives to strike that balance. And so Rick, what I think of when you say they're the youngest team in the league snap weighted is that, That was supposed to be part of the plan. However, it's not an excuse for how this team has come out of the gate because they still have a lot of veterans, a lot of highly paid guys, a lot of top players who were paid to be top players again to step up and to help those guys assimilate. And right now it hasn't happened. All right, let's get to Al. Great, great first question, Rick. Great first question. Al says, imagine if we had an O-line like the Lions. Giants fans just can't have nice things, I guess. Hopefully, Andrew Thomas, Bredesen, JMS can at least combine to be an average left side. Another good question. I'm going to take a sip of my screwball peanut butter whiskey. Excellent drink. If you guys uh, have ever tried this, uh, you know what I'm talking about. And if you never have, give it a try. Screwball. Amazing. For those listening, just, just imagine what you're looking at. Smooth. Smooth. So, okay. So, Al says... 
Imagine if we had an O-line like the Lions. So the Giants' problem right now, like Daniel Jones is getting ripped by the San Francisco 49ers players about how he's overpaid and uh, about how he didn't even want to throw the ball, but we all know why he was reluctant to throw the ball. And like, think about that play, Jalen Hyatt was wide open in the second quarter and um, he wasn't able to get rid of the ball because of all the pressure coming off the left side. And remember, this wasn't very long ago, but remember how the Dallas game, the right side of the offensive line was the problem, right? And so what you're hinting at and talking about, Al, is in that game against Dallas, you had Thomas Bredesen on the left. And at least to get in the Dallas game, more of the pressure was coming from the right. It wasn't all coming from there. The left wasn't perfect by any means. The whole line didn't play well enough. But you looked at the right as the thing that opened your eyes in week one. Now we're looking at the entire offensive line due to injuries, due to underperformance, due to all of that. Mark Lewinsky, a guy who's not even playing right now, that Joe Shane paid a lot of money in year one to address the right guard spot. And in the Giants' hope was to plug a hole. Turns out it didn't. Turns out they don't have a solution there. That's why you're going to continue to hear Justin Pugh's name until he signs elsewhere or until he signs with the Giants, right? Because that's why they worked him out, because they need solutions on the interior. If he ended up signing with the Giants, I would think that Pugh would end up at left guard because that's what he told me in August that he would want to play, and then Ben Bredesen would go over to the right. That's how I would see that working out. Um, yeah, no, I mean, Al, you're right. Daniel Jones, listen, he has a 5.8 yards per completion uh, right now after three games. That is 30th in the league out of 34 qualifying quarterbacks. So it's tied with Gardner Minshew of the Colts, who only played one game. The only three quarterbacks it, it is ahead of are Zach Wilson, who is on the verge of getting run out of New York. Joe Burrow, who is playing on one leg, the Bengals are barely, you know, they're barely running anybody more than five yards downfield, and Bryce Young, a rookie quarterback. But in Jones's defense, it's because a lot of the times he can't throw the ball. In the Niners game, you could see most of the time Brian Dable was calling and Mike Kafka were calling plays for him to get the ball out quickly. They were trying to get Paris Campbell on a lot of runs after catches, but the Niners are really good, really fast, and were closing out and closing down very quickly at that. There should be more opportunities against the Seahawks defense, though the Seahawks are getting some DBs back as well. I believe Woolen and Adams. I mean, Adams is a guy you can go at in the pass game, uh, but also a hard hitter and a guy who can be a playmaker and take the ball away. Uh, but the bottom line is, you're right. Daniel Jones, I saw a stat on next-gen stats, on NFL next-gen stats. Let me get this stat for you guys. This is a remarkable stat. You probably have seen it online floating around but I was looking at it myself today and it really is jarring. This is about pass protection. So according to this was going into the Niners game, next gen stats posted this. It said Daniel Jones is the only quarterback to face a 40% overall pressure rate since he entered the NFL in 2019. So that means all those seasons combined and he's at 41.2%. So he was pressured on, <coughs> excuse me, 43.8% of his of his dropbacks in 2019, 43.2% in 2020, 26% in 2021, and 42.1% in 2022. I think that was supposed to be 36% in 2021. The bottom line is he entered the Niners game at 42.7% pressure, pressure rate. He's essentially now at being pressured one out of every two, so half of his dropbacks. And... 
as much as you want to criticize Daniel Jones and the 49ers players did. And that was a great story, by the way, by Michael Silver over at the San Francisco Chronicle. You should go and subscribe to them and read that story. If you didn't read it, I know you probably saw the quotes aggregated, but the story is great. The reporting is great. The quotes are great. Um, amazing trust that he's built with those players, you know, similar to Gary Myers with the book he did on the giants recently. Uh, you know, having one of those quotes out of a locker room would be, Hey, good job to a reporter, Michael, to get like six of seven of those is just excellent. And then go to my story on the daily news website, or you can go to uh, YouTube shorts, my Instagram at PL on NFL or my TikTok, same handle. And you can see Daniel Jones responding to the 49ers trash talk about him being overpaid, not wanting to throw the ball. Hey guys, welcome in. Welcome in Antonio. Good to see you, man. Hunter says, how are the players that were out in San Fran trending towards for Monday? Yeah. So let's run through them. Andrew Thomas seems like a wait and see. Talked to him today after a padded practice. He said it, it was not bad. So he didn't seem discouraged, but he wasn't declaring supreme optimism either. If I had to guess at this exact moment, I'm not, in, I'm not looking at Andrew Thomas for this week. I'm probably looking at the, the following game in Miami but he clearly is trying to give it a go, and there is clearly a chance. Aziz Ojolari looked good to me in one-on-ones before we had to leave practice at the end of the individual period. Um, you know, I'm encouraged about that, and I was told earlier in the week that it was looking good for Aziz to play in this game. So hopefully he not only plays but also stays healthy. Saquon Barkley uh, looked to me like he was moving gingerly. I mean, some of the other reporters were watching him and said that he looked like he was going about three-quarter speed. And they were surprised how good he looked. I disagree with that. I think he was doing a lot of straight line jogging. Um, you know, he wasn't wearing much protection on the ankle. Um, and he was getting a little bit better as he warmed up, doing taking the handoffs from Daniel Jones, took a pitch to the left that you can watch those highlights on all my social media as well. TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, wherever you want to go. And um, yeah, I even saw him catch a pass from Jeff Nixon, the running backs coach, so he's putting in work, he's doing the individuals and he's on the field, which is a good sign. But if I had to guess right now, I would say Saquon doesn't play in this game. I, I did hear earlier in the week though, that he thought he had a chance to play and that he was pushing to play. So it might be one of those cases of, well, he might be trying to play, but is it wise? And do they hold him back? Daniel Bellinger has a neck. Um, I don't know if that happened at practice today or in the last game. I mean, this is their first real football in a week, this practice, but we also haven't had an injury report since the last game, the Thursday night game last week in San Francisco. So uh, we'll find out that from Brian Dable on Friday when we talk to him before Friday's practice. And then Ben Bredesen is essentially one step uh, out of the protocol. So he had a full practice today on Thursday. Um, and so that means that he just needs to st uh, meet with an independent neurologist once more and then get cleared fully. So I would think by the time we are at practice on Friday, he will be fully cleared and out of the protocol. If I forgot anybody, mention it. Antonio says, do you think all the guys in the injury report today play against Seattle? Okay, so same question. Um, yeah, so I think I answered all of those there. If I forgot any, let me know. Rick says, good stuff on the young players. Yep, right, that was a great question. Is Trey Hawkins in danger of losing snaps to Darnay Holmes with a Dory moving outside full time? One more sip. These are good questions so far, guys. So um, I do think Darnay Holmes earned more playing time, uh, maybe stole that spot back. I think that's a really good observation by you. You know, I think Trey Hawkins looks like he's in over his head, which is okay. He's a late-round rookie. It's okay, right? 
it's okay. Uh, but Darnay Holmes, I think, listen, when you bench a player or you tell, a, you know, you give an ultimatum to a player, like, listen, your roster spot's not secure. We need to see more from you right now or else. Like all those things are things that Wink Martindale, you know, Brian Dable, Mike Kafka, like this, this is how this staff coaches. And Wink Martindale told us about the keep it real periods with Kayvon Thibodeau and all that. And they do that with all the players. And Darnay Holmes is no different. This is a player who came into camp knowing his job was on the line, had his job taken from him, and wasn't able to perform well in the preseason. And after last year and his weaknesses in the passing game, you know that he was his back was against the wall. What a response from Darnay. I mean, talk about a professional. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not just saying this. Like, look at this professionalism of this guy putting his head down, working, being ready. And then suddenly in San Francisco, when even though the defense I thought played hard and got some good play from guys like Micah McFadden, you know, they needed guys who were tack who would tackle better. They weren't tackling well enough. And Darnay Holmes came in and he made plays. He made tackles. They weren't out of this out of this world, um, coming out of your shell, superhuman plays. It was just doing his job, making a tackle in a one-on-one situation. Uh, getting a hand in there on an out route, knocking the ball down, knocking the guy out of bounds after a short completion, whatever it was, he was just giving them simpler, uh, key, fundamental, fundamentally sound plays. And so, yes, I, I think it's dangerous to have Trey Hawkins on the field. Yes, I, I do right now. I think there was a play. Listen, Debo Samuel is one of the best players in the league. So you know, again, he's a six round rookie. I'm not dumping on the kid. But the play where the Giants missed about 100 tackles on Debo in that one play, Trey Hawkins didn't even touch him. Like, broke down for the tackle. Debo gave him like a, you know, one of those, like Saquon always says, and uh, and Trey Hawkins didn't even touch him. I think he, he almost fell. It was like a, the killer crossover, like Tim Hardaway style. Uh, so I think he needs to just maybe get his head right, clear his head, go to work a little bit. Um, I don't know if Amani Aruwarie is ready to step in yet, but, um, you know, maybe give a veteran a, a backup shot there as well. Um, not to, you don't want to bench a kid, but I just think Hawkins is really struggling right now. Look at all these questions pouring in. Welcome guys. If you just joined us again, this is the talking ball with Pat Leonard Thursday night, halftime Q and a giants, Q and a giants, Seahawks, Monday night football week four, Feels like, you know, must win in week two in Arizona. Feels like a must win here with the Dolphins and Bills on deck. A lot of pressure on the Giants, but also an opportunity for them to win a primetime game and feel good, frankly, about a two and two record after four games. You know, if you play, if you play your first four games and your two losses are to Dallas and San Fran and your two wins are to Ariz- against Arizona and Seattle, you can at least say, well, listen, the two teams we lost to, even though they were far from good enough games and they were blowouts, especially the Cowboys game, they're two of the best teams in the league. So there's a huge difference between being two and two after the Seattle game and being one and three and how you feel about how this team will do when it plays not only the Dolphins and the Bills, but also you know the Washington Commanders after that, the Jets, um, even a team like the Patriots, frankly, you know, go go on down the line. It'll tell us a lot about where this team is. Uh, but really excited, man. Questions are pouring in. Let's get to them. All right. Steven G says, do you think Saquon should play in this game? I don't think he should. I think that the three week timeline that initially came out 
came out for a reason. I also believe that the reason Saquon told Taylor Rooks, I don't know, this is me putting two and two together. I think when Taylor Rooks reported on Amazon Prime on Thursday Night Football when the Niners and Giants were playing, I think the reason that Saquon Barkley told her he has a high right ankle sprain is because it hadn't gotten out yet. And if people don't know he has a high ankle, if he starts sitting out long enough, people start wondering, well, wait, we heard it was an ordinary ankle sprain. So if we heard it was ordinary, but he's missing three or four weeks, uh, wait, why is, is he, is he milking it? Is he trying to protect his body? Cause he's on a one year deal, right? There's all these things that are going to come up based on the contract situation, based on how it's getting handled, whatever. I think he clarified that through Taylor because it's important to him and I good for him for doing it. Like if he misses this Seattle game, he doesn't want to be questioned about missing it. And he is trying to get back and trying to play. But I think it's only fair to Saquon that people knew the severity of his injury because high ankle sprains take a long time, not only to heal for you to get back on the field, but for also for them for you to get, actually get 100%. Like we've seen Saquon on high ankle sprains before come back too early. And then it takes him like an extra month to get back to 100% instead of maybe skipping one extra game and then coming back and being really ready to go. So I don't think he should play in this game for his own health. Um, there's no question the Giants need him, though. I mean, you look at what they put on the field in San Francisco. Not only – I'm not just talking about personnel. I'm talking about game plan. Like Brian Dable wouldn't even run Daniel Jones. I mean, it was like they told him not to because they didn't want him to get hurt. Uh, you know, they had 150 total yards. So you need him to play to apparently have a competent offense. But for his own sake, I would say no. Remember, guys, um, if you're new here or if you're just joining, um, remember we have super chat, super stickers. You can pay money to have your chat, your comment elevated to the top of the chat. I'll get right to it over everybody else's. Um, remember to subscribe to this page if you're not already. It's at PL on NFL on YouTube. Also, same handle on TikTok, on Instagram, at PL on NFL. And I'm at P Leonard NYDN on Twitter and obviously at the New York Daily News as well, and the Believe Podcast, Talking Ball with Pat Leonard on Apple, Spotify, wherever. You can get Giants news, you can get Giants guests, and also we go around the league. This year, this week, I had Daniel Popper of The Athletic, who covers the Chargers and also is a music producer in his spare time on the podcast. That episode is available on audio, on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get them, and also on my YouTube channel, so check that out as well. And like I said at the beginning, please hit the like button, the thumbs up here. Um, you know, every, every little bit helps grow it. It helps YouTube push it to more Giants fans who might not know about what we're doing here yet. And again, if you're new, we do these once in the middle of the week and once after games. So we will do a live Q&A on Monday, even though it'll be late. You saw I did one late after the Thursday night game on the West Coast. We are going to do a live Q&A after the Giants-Seahawks game at MetLife Stadium. So what I will do is go down to the locker room, talk to Brian Dable, talk to the players after that game, and then I will come back upstairs, finish my writing for the Daily News, and then jump on, and we'll do a 30 to 40-minute live Q&A about what we saw on the field. Geno Smith, Julian Love, Giants, all of that. All right, let's get to your questions here. As I sip some more screwball. If you guys know screwball, tell me if you've had it before. I, I love it. If you haven't, I honestly, if you don't have a peanut allergy, you got to try it. All right, let's see. Uh, Jake Patterson says, what are the coaches thinking of Banks? Good start to the season. Certified CB1 upside after this year. 
Uh, the coaches, the coaches love Banks. Um, it's unfortunate he hasn't gotten through two of the first three games. He's got a bruise in his left arm. He's going to play though. Um, I think his tackling needs to improve. I do think he's a fighter. He's competitive. Um, he's a gamer. He bounces back, and they like his character. Has a high character. Um, you know, he's tough. And the Giants need tough players, especially on that defense. The way Link Wink likes to play. You know, um, it'd be nice if they could get back to you know press man. Um, you know, and, and knowing that they're going to be okay in that regard. I mean, Banks, he's going to have ups and downs, right? He made a nice pass breakup in the red zone in San Francisco to force a field goal on the first drive, but then he gets beat for a touchdown by Ronnie Bell on, uh, on a later drive. So up and down, I think the tackling needs to improve overall, but I talked to the kid a lot. Like we, you know, we talk back and forth going, walking past him in the locker room. I'm always kind of checking in on him and I really, really, really like him. I mean, I'm not just saying that. Like I, I think he's got a great head on his shoulders. I think he loves football. I don't think he loves football. I know. I know he loves football, and um, the coaching staff does like him. But again, you know, young player who's going through some growing pains too. Uh, let's see. What is Dable's approach to player health? He is always cautious when bringing players back from injury, but also sent out a Dory to return punts. Kept DJ and Andrew Thomas in the Dallas game. Al, that is very perceptive. That is extremely perceptive. I think what you just hit on is the fact that it's not consistent, I think is what you just said without saying it. And listen, the Giants, I'll try not to be too long-winded here. The Giants error their training staff when they're in when their training staff is involved in the conversation heavily, which it is now with Joe Shane, Brian Dable, and this collaboration. They typically err on the side of giving on the side of giving a player a day off rather than having them on the field. That in, in general, it's that's not that's not always what happens, but in general, that's where they err. And I think the fact that the Giants didn't have, you know, in the last two years have had, you know, easier training camps, a lot of guys getting vet days, getting off days, that kind of stuff. That's that can all be attributed to the plan that Shane and Dable and the training staff are putting in place and what they're going along with, with the training staff. Um, I don't think they practice enough in the summer. I don't think I, I firmly believe part of the reason they were not ready at all against the Cowboys was because of how they practiced in the summer. And I think their starters didn't play enough. And I think it's all connected. I also think that even though you see all these rest days and the way they handle players, you still see guys getting hurt. I mean, you still see guys getting hurt now, as far as leaving guys in, taking guys out, I think in game, um, you know, like leaving Daniel Jones in that game was an inexcusable decision by Brian Dable. It was a decision from the outside looking in, looked like he was trying not to get shut out in the game. So he was leaving his quarterback in, even though he was getting his head kicked in by the Cowboys, which is a dangerous way to think. I think you get in game sometimes and maybe you panic a little bit. Uh, but I do think he panicked in the Eagles game when he went for that fourth down in the four, first quarter in the playoffs. Um, you know, Leaving an Andrew Thomas, I mean, I actually, I watched a lot of what happened with Andrew Thomas when he got hurt in the Dallas game. They took him over to the side and he was doing sets on the sideline to see how it would feel. And at least what Andrew described to us was because he's an offensive tackle, he was able to set on it um, and manage it for a time, at least that game. Now, who knows whether he heard it more by playing on it or not, but you make a good point. You know, and, and they even have a Dory sometimes at practice returning punts, which is just after what happened last year, like what, you know, it's, if you're not watching this on video, I'm making the kind of face like, you know, 
it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, I think the best way it can be described though is inconsistent and that when Brian Dable gets in games, uh, doesn't always stay the course with the plan, but also frankly, I think that they, they need to practice harder. I mean, you know, we saw them even last week going into the, or two weeks ago, going into the Cardinals game. It was like, they were starting to do like training camp type things again, like on the offensive line. I saw Charlotte Carroll from the athletic said today that Bobby O'Karake said they broke out like a tackling circuit drill in practice. That's normally reserved for training camp. This is what you should be doing. You're not good at these things because you don't practice them enough. That's what it is. So, sorry. I knew I would go on a tangent. I knew I would uh, get a little bit verbose there, but you got me going. All right. Uh, let's see. Hunter Keller says, I got a Jets question for you. What is the feeling around the whole Zach Wilson situation? That he stinks and that Robert Sala is crazy to continue talking the way he is about Zach Wilson. I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, you know, I think Sala, Joe Douglas, you know, everybody in that building was lucky for what happened this offseason after losing, what was it, the final six games last year. Um, they have a lot of talent. I think Sala, you know, got the defense going last year, obviously. Uh, they got a lot out of young players last year, particularly Wilson and Gardner. And, um, you know, you can live with a season now that doesn't deliver on the expectations that you had when Rodgers was in, obviously, but you cannot stand behind Zach Wilson when everybody who roots for the Jets, plays for the Jets, works for the Jets, knows that this kid can't play. He can't play. Like I was at the game as a fan um, against the Patriots and just sitting in the stands and he was barely getting to his second read most of the time and not because he was under pressure. He just wasn't, he was staring guys down. He was bailing out. He kept running backwards and around and, um, the fans see it like the fans in the stands at the jet game. They saw open receivers that he wasn't seeing, wasn't throwing to, and they were really disgusted with him. I mean, it's, I would caution to Robert Sala, like you, you can't live with this guy. You got to go somewhere else. You know, Trevor Simeon comes in as quickly as you can get him in the game. You get him in the game. That's what I would say. Um, but you know, Robert Sala needs to be careful for his own job is what I'm saying. Right. Um, and Joe Douglas, certainly, you know, drafting Zach Wilson, as much as he's had some other good picks, that's a doozy right there. Uh, let's see. Al says, what do you, what are some games this year where you think Jalen Hyatt could have a breakout game? Okay. So I think the Seahawks, this game should be one for a couple of reasons. Number one, the Seahawks are giving up. Um, I believe they are giving up around they're like bottom five in yards allowed um in the nfl pretty sure they might be last actually they might be last and yeah i think they are at around 450 per game total maybe and someone stat check me and uh their secondary has struggled they're giving up plays down the field and jalen hyatt hasn't played enough so i think Brian Dable and the Giants know that Jalen Hyatt needs to be on the field more. And especially they're playing at home, right? They're playing at home. If Hyatt's not on the field a lot in this game, the fans are going to let them hear it. This kid is explosive, man. Now, I did talk to Hyatt uh, about this, and please check out my story on the Daily News website if you can. But he was very level-headed and open-minded about, he said Brian Dable told him it's going to be a progression. And 
it's it's connected to a lot of things, him developing, learning the offense, and also staying healthy and learning how to stay um, consistent and contributing, uh, you know, during the season throughout a long year that he's not used to because it's so much longer than his 12-game college year. And I know you want to keep him healthy. That's important. But you also got to win games and score points now. And 150 yards against the Niners is embarrassing. I don't care if they're a top NFL offense or NFL defense or not. I mean, it's embarrassing. So you got to get this kid on the field. Um, what other games would I see him having good games? Well, let's look at the schedule. Um, you know, I think it's hard to envision anybody blowing up against the Dolphins or Bills, though it's certainly possible. But to pick, you know, I'd say the Raiders game, you know, in week nine at Vegas would be a good game. That'll be a fun game too. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, the commanders in, in week seven, possibly though, the pet, they have a pretty good pass rush. I would say the rate, you know, this week against the Seahawks Raiders in week nine, um, you know, other than that, I don't know. You got a Rams game deep in the year, but those are the games I would look at. Obviously you'd love for him to make a difference in some of those, uh, division games down the stretch, particularly those two Eagles games at the end on Christmas day and on January 7th. Uh, but you need to be relevant by then too. So you need to get this kid on the field. By the way, before I didn't see a question about this, but just wanted to mention um, Jamie Gillen. What a game the punter had. I feel like we we dump on, on him when he struggles and we point out the special team struggles when they're there and they deserve to be. But I think Jamie played great. I thought that Aussie style punt was awesome. The rugby punt um, that dug them out of that bad field position uh, was talking to him. Uh, today in the locker room and he said actually t-mac called that punt told him to told him to do it and he said good let's do it um let's bomb this and have some fun <laughs> so uh you know i thought that was great and he's a good guy too jamie so happy for him that he had a good game and rooting for him i do think you should root for him if you're a giants fan uh he is a good guy tries hard and uh also as you saw in that niners game when he's on he is on the Scottish hammer, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Uh, let's see. Jake Patterson says, is there a motivation factor behind Thibodeau's performance this year? You know, his attitude's been a little different this year early on. I'm not going to lie. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think it, there's a lack of effort or anything, but I do think that um, for some reason there isn't explosiveness and the fire there that we saw in some of those games, like the Ravens game, the Washington game last year, you know, games that he basically won with key plays. Um, I think we can all agree. You look at how teams beat the Giants, right? This is how the Giants can beat other teams is by flustering their quarterbacks, getting to the quarterbacks, forcing turnovers. And if Kayvon and or Aziz and, you know, obviously Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams too, but you need those edges to put some pressure on the quarterback or, these teams are going to make plays down the field on the Giants. And so far, it hasn't been good enough. Let's face it, his sack last week was a coverage sack and a second effort sack and a sack where I'm pretty sure you watched the play. I think he was dropped into like a soft coverage or somebody chipped him and ran a route. And so then he kind of came in free around as Purdy was holding the ball looking downfield. So uh, it's not there yet. It needs to be. And I think Kayvon knows it. Even even if he sounds defensive at the microphone, let's see. But Jake, your question was: Is there a motivation factor? I frankly can't explain why he seems different so far. I would 
I guess the optimistic way of looking at it is like last year he was injured for a couple games and then um, it took him a while to acclimate because he was hurt. But once he got in the lineup, you know, you saw him turn up, get going, really um, intent on making an impact. And I think that maybe, hopefully, this is you have to hope that he's get, he's going to hit his stride, kind of his body get into the flow of things, and then he'll become that, as he likes to call himself, that closer in the fourth quarter. Stephen G says, do you think Izudu should start at right guard? Stephen, I'll be honest with you. McKeithen, Izudu, I don't think there's an ideal option. Um, they really tried to hand Josh Izudu a guard, a starting guard spot in training camp, and he couldn't win it. So as much as he he's not like an excellent, sure thing at tackle either, um, I think the reason they're sticking with McKeithen, even though he's far from perfect too, is um, they gave Josh Izudu a lot of snaps at guard and didn't see it in camp in preseason. But that said, I think there could be a quick hook too. I don't know how much uh, it how much it will make a difference if you let's say bench McKeith in mid game for Josh Azudu, but um, I kind of think it's you know kind of uh, you know rearranging deck chairs. You know what I mean? It's not. I don't think it would improve things one way or another. I think they're both players who are trying hard, who are young, who are trying to develop, but who have also struggled so far. Steven also says, how do you feel Jalen Hyatt will develop in the coming weeks in Kafka's offense? I think that he'll be on the field more in Seattle against Seattle. And I think they're going to start asking him to do a little bit more. He's been doing daily tutoring sessions and uh, work with uh, um, Mike grow the wide receivers coach. They've been going over a lot. Hyatt told me that it's been challenging. He admitted learning the playbook because Dable wants his receivers to know every single receiver spot, and all their responsibilities. And so he's really been grinding on all of that because one thing Dable does in his offense, Tyrod Taylor was telling me this last year, they just have so many different formations that get them to the same play. And so there's a lot of eye candy and different calls and different schemes and personnel groupings that then eventually get you to the same end spot. So to know the play is one thing, but to know the alignment, the formation, uh, slight variances and responsibilities, depending on the personnel grouping on the formation. I think those are the things Hyatt's working on. Obviously some of these other receivers are better blockers too. So that's another thing. Um, but the bottom line is I think he's going to be a bigger factor and the giants know he needs to be. Uh, Rick says, why isn't wink isn't deploying as many exotic coverages as he did last year. Why is that? Um, I don't think they have, like so you just pointed out that sometimes that includes like one defensive lineman and seven DBs. I don't think they have seven DBs on the team that they trust. Um, you know, you think about it. I mean, you have seven DBs would be Deontay Banks, Adoree Jackson. Let's say right now it's Darnay Holmes, Xavier McKinney, Jason Pinnock, Dane Belton, and I guess Trey Hawkins, right? So, you know, if you talk about those seven, um, now those are all guys they put and have put on the field, but there's a lot of guys in there who have been struggling to tackle and, um, you know, let, let's, let's be honest. I mean, they're paying Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, you know, they draft Kayvon Thibodeau number five overall. Like these are guys who are being paid to make a difference, get to the quarterback. They paid Bobby Okereke. He would be on the field in the scheme that you're talking about, obviously, but I just think that they don't have seven DBs that 
they trust in a consistent way to play those coverages um, and make those open field tackles because so far they haven't proven that they can. Uh, Jake says, interested to see how often the Giants do special teams practice. Seems as if the coaching is an issue on that side of the ball. Can't remember the last time we had a positive special teams play. <clears throat> well, uh, like I said, I thought Jamie Gillen, the punter, had a great game last game. Uh, so I thought that part of special teams was good. Um, you know, um, you also had, let's see. Oh, the only touchdown, the you had two field goals from Graham Gano, and then you also, two field goals, right? I think so. And then you also had um, Eric Gray setting up the Giants' only offensive touchdown by getting e interfered with on a fair catch. So even if it might have looked a little shaky and he might have gotten lucky with the, the call of interference there, um, you know, that did set up the Giants' only touchdown. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gotten in the end zone with that offense if they didn't start at like the 34. Um, I agree with you. Special teams isn't good enough right now. Um, it was a reason why the Dallas game started falling apart along with the offense, but it wasn't the reason they lost the San Francisco game. Um, the offense was. The offense was. And even the defense not tackling well enough, but the offense was. All right, let's get to the next one. We got Hunter says, how do we combat these really high explosive and high speed teams such as the Dolphins? Uh, drop in coverage and cross your fingers. Now, uh, listen, Hunter, it comes down to pressuring the quarterback. You know, uh, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau, Azizo Jolari, hopefully back against the Seahawks. You know, you need to get to the quarterback before they can unleash the ball to these guys in space. And obviously, when you have speed like Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell with the Dolphins, those guys are going to get to their spots quicker, right? So even more important to win right away or do it at least enough in the game that they start changing their play calls, hopefully to adjust to how quickly you're getting there, how much you're putting the quarterback, um, you know, making him feel uncomfortable and that kind of thing. Um, I do think, you know, Okereke is fast. I like Bobby Okereke, but I think right now I would like to see Bobby Okereke stopping plays more than like finishing them. So I feel like a lot of the tackles he's made so far is like cleaning up for other people's messes and making play. He'll like make a tackle 20 yards downfield to stop a 40 yard touchdown. But Michael McFadden was the one in the last game making the play to like stop guys for a three yard run or a one yard loss or whatever. Like that's what I want to see from Okereke. But I bring up Bobby because he's fast and I do see his speed. And that's, that's the way you do combat that is by adding that to your defense. But, you know, I'll just say this right now. I know Julian Love and the Seahawks secondary are struggling against the pass, giving up a lot of yards. But the Giants miss Julian Love at safety right now. Xavier McKinney is not playing well enough. Jason Pinnock isn't playing well enough. McKinney needs to step up. He needs to step up. He knows it. Um, you know, Pinnock needs to step up. I mean, he 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 did very well to earn this role. Like him a lot. You know, uh, needs to make plays. Needs to stick his nose in there. Take the contact. Make the play. Uh, he's a good run blitzer, but he needs to help them all over the field. McKinney needs to become, you know, like he breaks down the team before every game. He needs to play like that. He needs to play like one of the leaders of the team, Xavier McKinney. And I know he 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 knows he has it in him. And um, listen, I'm not picking on him. I mean, everybody's got to play better. And like I said, I thought the defense, even though 30 points were scored by the Niners, I thought the defense played well enough to help the Giants win a game if they had a real offense in that game in Santa Clara. But uh, McKinney does need to play a lot better. There's no question about it. 
let's see. Um, Stephen G says, is there anyone in free agency the Giants should go after to make them a more complete team? Um, I think, Stephen, right now the name to look at is Justin Pugh. Uh, we will see how the Seattle game goes here. I think that there's a reason the Giants worked out Justin Pugh when they were in Arizona. And uh, there's a reason why after he, after he tells me in August that he would love to come back, he works out for them. Um, I know he has interest from other teams as well, as he told me in August. Um, and this is a case of a guy coming off an injury, so he's going to have to come in, prove himself. But uh, I do think that <clears throat> if the Giants' offensive line on the interior is a mess against the Seahawks, that's a name to watch is Justin Pugh. And uh, it's been a name to watch every week. I mean, it's been a name to watch. But it will absolutely be a name to watch if uh, the Giants' interior offensive line completely collapses or has a brutal game. Like somebody asked earlier about Azudu at right guard versus McKeithen. Like if McKeithen struggles and gets benched and then Azudu struggles and, you know, uh, Bredesen is rusty or that kind of thing, that kind of game and the Giants lose and the line again is one of the biggest part, biggest problems, you know, now what, right? And um, I think that's the scenario that gets Justin Pugh possibly uh, based on him having a workout and still being a free agent, uh, a real call. You know, you ask about free agent options and um, that's a guy coming off injury, you know, not too expensive because he's still uh, coming off an ACL, which is a serious thing. It's not like the Giants, I think, are going to break the bank at this point, especially if you're one and three. You're not going out and spending a ton of money either, which they don't have. So He's in that sweet spot, I think, of a guy who would be affordable and also valuable and also fill a need. So that's the name to watch, I would say. Uh, let's see. Rick says, did the FO fill the positional needs they wanted to fill in free agency? Oh, did the front office fill the positional needs they wanted to fill in free agency? Or were they not able to get a veteran edge and or a veteran slot and then went in a different uh, direction. Yeah. So Jamel Dean, the corner from the bucks, I know they were after him and he ended up re-signing in Tampa. Um, so you saw from the draft that they hit corner pretty hard. Um, the one, the one big miss or the player that I think that I knew they were after that they didn't land was Jamel Dean. I think they were hoping to sign a corner and draft a corner high, right? So if you had the Jamel Dean and Deontay Banks and Adoree Jackson instead of Adoree Jackson, Deontay Banks, and Trey Hawkins or Darnay Holmes, like that would look a lot different, right? Uh, that was a that was a big one. That's 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 a big miss. I mean, not referring necessarily to this offseason, but just Leonard Floyd's been a guy that over the years, like every every year, basically the Giants have wanted ever since the draft when they wanted him and uh, haven't been able to get. So they're always looking for pass rush help that they're that's slipping through their fingers a little bit like that. Uh, but the corner position was one that they were really hammering that they were looking at. Um, and I had heard, thought I had heard something about how they wanted Edwards, uh, the linebacker from Philly before they went and got Okereke as well. Um, but there were conflicting kind of comments from different people about that, but they were definitely zeroed in on a middle linebacker as well. Um, I think the edge position is one where, you know, they definitely have some, a first round and a second round investment there in these guys um, in Kayvon and Aziz, and they need them to step up. 
Jake says, who's the leader, true leader of this defense? Seems like there's a lot of good leaders within the position groups, but no big leader on the defense who people look up to. Julian Love missing. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. It's a role that he was filling last year, helping to fill that they miss. They very much miss that uh, glue guy as far as his character and what he brought to the defense on the field and off the field. I agree with you. I think the team... I think the team misses the leaders like Feliciano, Gates, Love, guys who were really like fabric of the locker room guys. Um, you know, they miss that as a team right now. There's something missing. And, uh, they, you know, listen, De Dexter Lawrence is a lead by example guy. Um, Bobby O'Karrick, I think, is a lead by example guy. Xavier McKinney does a lot of uh, talking and and leading and, uh, steps forward and breaks the team down and all that. But, um, I think you need to think you need your play to back up your leadership as well. You need it both to happen. So, you know, is it Dexter Lawrence who needs to, you know, be vocal and then get back to that level he was at last year? I think Okereke is in a prime position to be that guy. Um, you know, McFadden's the one who played in San Francisco, like a guy who's the leader of a defense. Can he do that every week? We'll see. He's done it. He's done it in two out of three games now. Dallas game and the Niners game. Al says, I keep hearing people say Daniel Jones has one of the slowest release times in the NFL, better only than Justin Fields. That the critique ignores obvious context aside. Is that true? Uh I have to look that up. Slowest release times. Let's see. Let's see if I can get to that. I did not know that stat. NFL QB release times. I mean, let's see. Fantasy pros, advanced quarterback stats. Let's see. Thanks for being with me, guys. Um, if you are new here, we do twice a week. We do one midweek, one after game. So we'll do another live Q&A for the Giants after the Monday night game against the Seahawks. Also subscribe to the YouTube page at PL on NFL on the same handle on Instagram, on TikTok. have the podcast talking ball with Pat Leonard, um, leave reviews on all of these pages too. Please like, please rate it. Please give it five stars, thumbs up. Please give this chat thumbs up, um, and read my stuff at nydailynews.com. And also on my Twitter page, get to that as well. Let's see. I can't dig that up for you there, Al. That's something I will look into. Um, I don't think though, watching the games that Daniel is holding the ball too long. Um, I, I will say this, you know, the second big play that Hyatt had, um, in Arizona, the 31 yarder, if you watch that playback, Daniel Jones has a clean pocket and for whatever reason, just throws the ball a little late. So instead of Hyatt catching it running, he ends up having to stop and jump and catch it. Um, very unusual. I think maybe that comes with a guy who's faster than other people. And maybe you're not expecting him to get up on the spot as quickly. Uh, but so I, I guess my point is I have seen examples of Daniel letting the ball go a little bit late. Um, I don't know about that stat. I'll look at that. I'll also say this. I talked to Daniel and Brian Dable this week about he's under so much pressure that, you know, you remember Eli Manning at the end, you know, 2016, 17, 18, he was under pressure so much and also immobile, but he was under pressure so much. He just started seeing it when it wasn't there. And then really when he started seeing it, he would just ground it into the turf, throw balls into the dirt, 
check down to Saquon for minus three yards, you know, all that stuff. And I'm starting to see a little bit of that with Daniel here now is like, he, he looks like, like in that San Fran game, he had some inaccurate throws that just don't usually happen with him. Almost like he was anticipating pressure when it wasn't there. You know, the couple of the passes to Darren Waller looked like that, you know, plays where, uh, there wasn't enough pressure in his face to warrant him throwing an inaccurate ball. And he did. And, I think both he and Brian Dable, from my vantage point, you go read my story in the Daily News on Friday and up on the website now, Daniel and Brian Dable both kind of acknowledge the existence of or the reality that that does happen and that they need to do better for Daniel because it is happening here. But Daniel said, listen, playing against the pass rush is part of the NFL. It's no excuse, and I have to do better. So obviously he handled it like a pro, but I do think that's what's happening with Jones. Let's see. Stephen G says, is anyone's job in jeopardy because of this slow start? Depends on how bad it gets. Um, I went into this season believing that, you know, this would likely be Mike Kafka's last year here because he's on the head coaching circuit. The Northwestern job um, is open for a full-time replacement next year. His alma mater um, depends, I guess, on how much success he has. I also just feel like, you know, even though he and Dable collaborate, I don't feel the love there. I'm not saying there's any negativity there, but it just, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a long-term marriage to me. And then uh, Thomas McGahey, special teams, certainly looked like the writing was on the wall for him between Dable and the ire he was showing towards him in preseason, the way he was treating him on the sideline there that everybody saw, and then also the way the special team started the year. Uh, but obviously things can change. They can improve. We saw some special teams plays made in San Fran. So, um, you know, but I definitely went into it, you know, the season thinking that at least two of the coordinators, um, you know, were not long past this season based on those different factors. Uh, we will obviously see, you know, it's hard to imagine like if this season is so, so, or a little bit below average, like, you know, I think it would take a lot for Brian Dable not to get to year three. Uh, I don't know about Joe Shane. I mean, I don't think, I think the giants understand that they finally got a GM in here who is, uh, has a process and I think they want to see it through. So I think it would take a lot for an organization like them that typically, you know, lets GM see things through, especially when they go poorly, as you saw with Dave Gettleman, um, you know, that Joe Shane would be back next year. I think if it goes in the tank and the team, you know, you start seeing some, uh, you know, players quitting some of the kind of stuff we saw in the Dallas game, like of guys just didn't look like they were given a hundred percent effort at times. Like if you see more of that and they lose, you know, let's say they lose to Seattle, lose to Miami, lose to Buffalo, uh, two out of the three are blowouts. They only win one of Washington and jets, right? If this gets really bad and they win four games and the team quits, I mean, you never know what will happen to a coach. That's what we saw with Joe Judge. I mean, as much as they only won six games in his first year, the arrow was pointing up, and I have a lot of receipts of everybody in the Giants organization, John Mara, Eli Manning, like everybody raving about the guy, raving about the program, how he's just what they need. And then what happens? The wheels start coming off in year two, and if they come all the way off, that you know, you leave the owners no choice. Now, um, I think everybody's still trending as far as head coach GM towards year three, but if it goes in the tank based on how much of a mess some of this looks like, uh, would, is it possible Brian Dable only sees two years? I mean, anything's possible. It would have to go really bad though. 
Uh, let's see. Hunter says, I know it's a few weeks away. If they're still struggling, do you think they ship away veterans such as Leo around the deadline? Yes, that's very much something to look for. Um, I think they would have to eat salary in a situation like Leonard Williams to trade him away. I think Saquon would be the guy to look at. Um, if he gets healthy and the team's in the tank, that would be the player that they would try to trade and get something back for, knowing that they're not going to re-sign him anyway. Um, you know, So that's another thing for Saquon to consider when he's coming back. But of course, he is trying to come back, trying to play. But I think Saquon would be the main one to look at. But yes, Leonard Williams, um, I don't know how much he would get for a player that's that expensive, though. That's the other thing you have to remember. Um, when you're selling a player, how much are you going to get for that player? Like, is he desirable with the money that a team is inheriting to join their team, to join their defensive line? That's another question you have to ask. But yes, the Giants could very much be in sell mode. All right, uh, a couple more questions and we're going to get out of here. Um, Jake says, what is the Giants cap situation right now? They uh, they don't have a lot of uh, cap space. Um, they're pretty tight. That's why you saw some restructures at the start of the year. You saw the um, Graham Gano extension. You saw uh, them moving some money around right at the beginning just to be able to move guys up and down from the practice squad, that kind of thing. So they're uptight against it, and they don't have a ton of money to make room. Um, so they can free room and free money and make some space for a guy like Justin Pugh for, I, I don't know, whatever it is, a million, two million, whatever it is. Um, they can make that room, but they don't have a lot to work with. So that's part of the reason why when I'm asked about them acquiring players, um, you know, not only are they not in a position right now to be looking at that, um, but also even if they could go get a guy who was like a, a big time player, like they just wouldn't have the funds now. They have to kick the can down the road, which we have seen them do. Let's see. Steven says, do you think the 2023 Giants is a 10 plus win team or is it too early to determine? Seems like they're still trying to find their identity. Steven, the answer to me is no. I picked them to win seven games. I think if they get there, it would be fortunate at this point not to be doom and gloom here. Uh, but, but until they show to me that they are a good team, I will not consider them one. I don't consider them the same team as last year. I think they're missing some leadership pieces, some character pieces. Uh, they still don't have good depth at a lot of places. And as I said at the beginning, their offensive line and secondary aren't good enough. I think we've seen a lot of that so far. Uh, the offense needs to get better, though, against Seattle. The defense needs to improve, too, but the offense has to get better. I mean, the offense, this is just unacceptable what they're putting on the field right now. The offensive line, the offense, the point production, um, 150 yards. What is it, 43 points in the first three games total, right? 31 and 12. Um, just completely unacceptable. Rick says, who is the second best reporter on the Giants beat? Great question, Rick. Actually, great statement with that question because you're saying that I'm number one here. I appreciate that. Um, and I really appreciate you guys participating and joining this chat. Thumbs up, Steven. You got it. Let's go. We will be here Monday night after the Seahawks-Giants game from MetLife Stadium talking Giants, talking Seahawks. Remember, we didn't even talk about this. Geno Smith coming back <clears throat> to the scene of the crime, right? Obviously, it was really Oakland. But coming back to New York where uh, the Eli Manning benching, Geno getting run out of town, Ben McAdoo getting fired, uh, Geno playing for both New York franchises and ended up going out to the Pacific Northwest to resurrect his career. Julian Love, meanwhile, coming back against his old team, the reigning good guy award winner for the New York Giants, Julian Love, as well. Uh, was a leader here, was the leading tackler last season, 
And so he and Geno Smith both both come back trying to beat their former team. The Giants, of course, in a must-win situation. Uh, <clears throat> Rick Rick says, I was just looking for some peanut whiskey-inspired smack talk. Good call. You thought I'd had too much of it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good call. Screwball peanut butter whiskey. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Hunter says, is a part of us getting so many primetime games this year, a part of how we did last year? Yeah. Um, the NFL, listen, the Giants haven't been relevant in a while. And then they go to the playoffs. They win a playoff game. They're exciting. Uh, they have some big names. They got guys paid. Andrew Thomas, Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence. Saquon Barkley comes back even though he doesn't get the contract. And so Brian Dable wins coach of the year. The Giants were hot. And the NFL and these rights holders and these ne uh, networks tried to capitalize. Um, you know, it it hopefully hasn't backfired. I mean, if they lose and, and lose in bad fashion to the Seahawks, it could backfire on them badly. Um, obviously not good, not only that they've laid eggs, but they've laid two eggs in prime time as the only game on for the nation, for the world to see while they're not watching another game, no split screens and all that. Uh, so that's been tough to handle, I think. But um, you look at the Jets too. I mean, the NFL really stepped in it there without Rodgers. Now the Jets playing all these primetime games. You got Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson on the field. By the way, I'm considering going to that Jets game on Sunday night to cover that as well. We got Taylor Swift in the house. We got Zach Wilson probably getting benched before half. You know, it's going to be crazy. Uh, but just to remind you guys, first of all, one more sip of the screwball. We are sponsored by Bet Online. We are also sponsored by Estate 98. It's an Essencia Day Cafe from El Salvador dating back to 1798. It takes three seconds to make. Pour a tablespoon and ice in a glass and stir it. I drink it all the time when I'm doing talking ball. Well, not when I'm drinking, you know, whiskey, but when I'm not drinking whiskey, I'm drinking Estate 98. Go check it out. Um, it's at Estate 98 Coffee, I believe, on Instagram. You can go on their website as well and order it there. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Just a quick reminder, um, subscribe to the YouTube page. Super chat, super stickers next time we get in here. I think it's a fun way to liven up the chat to get your question answered. If you're joining late, rise right to the top. Um, we're doing this after the game on Monday night. Subscribe to the YouTube page, subscribe to Instagram, subscribe to TikTok. Twitter is at P Leonard NYDN. And again, on the Daily News website, I have a story on Daniel Jones right now responding to the 49ers trash talk and the Talking Ball podcast on Apple, Spotify, and on the YouTube page. Me and Daniel Popper. Daniel Popper, my former Daily News colleague, now with the Athletic covering the Chargers. He's a senior senior NFL writer there. Does a great job. Also has great music on Spotify. Pear Pear. P-E-H-R space P-E-H-R. Great stuff. Goes into Brandon Staley, Fourth Down Decisions, Keenan Allen, J.C. Jackson, and all of that. Let's see. Let's get to your last comments here. Is uh, Am I reading correctly? We only have $50 million in cap space next year, and that's without Saquon and Leo. That sounds right. Not, not looking at it yet, but sounds right. They really dug a hole. And remember, the same financial team is still in the building. Still in the building. Hunter says, uh, I'll have to get some of the peanut butter whiskey this weekend. Get it. Screwball with a K. S-K. Screwball. Uh, Steven says, let's go Giants. Listen, a win would make this season more interesting. A loss can send it off the rails, right? Jake says, Australian Super Bowl this week for our rugby competition. Need a go. The Brisbane Broncos to end this stream out. Tough being a Giants fan out here. Rick says, thanks for the access. This was fun. Rick, thanks. Jake, thanks. Everybody, Al, Hunter, all you guys, uh, thank you so much. And um, what was it Jake wanted me to say? Oh, yeah. Go Brisbane Broncos. Thanks for joining. 
We'll see you next time. If you missed it now live, or if you just came in late, this will be downloaded and uploaded onto the Talking Ball podcast feed. You can listen to it there. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.